It's good to see all of you. It's good to see new faces as ever at King's Church. My name's Philip and I'm one of the, the pastors here, one of the leaders as well. I'm going to be teaching from the Bible as we like to do every week. Um, I can't not mention Ross and Emma and your latest, your new addition, a new addition to King's Church family. <laughs> Lovely to see little Jude. There he is. <laughs> He's already singing away probably. Lovely to see you, all, all of you guys. Congratulations. Um, we are, if you are new, uh, Jude's new, so he needs to know. Um, we're in the middle of this kind of teaching series, looking at the vision and values of uh, who we are as a church or who we are looking to be, what we believe God's called us to be. We believe that God's called us to be a church to fundamentally uh, help each other know God and make God known in the context in which we are known and loved in the family of God. We're here to know God, to be known and loved, and to make God known. That's what we're about. That's what we believe God's called us to. And then we, did, we spent three weeks unpacking those three components. And then last week, um, I was saying we were going to kind of, um, it's a bit of a Paul McArdle phrase, we're going to double click on that uh, sentence and see what kind of lies behind. What's the substance, if, if you like, if you go behind that statement? What, li- what are the values that lie behind a church that wants to um, be that? And we said there are four E's, really. Uh, four values, kind of values and vehicles mixed up. Four E's that we think, really get to the heart of what it means to unpack a statement like that. And last week we said the first E is that we as a church really want to be passionate about exploration, exploring God broadly and the gospel specifically. And we said that exploration here at King's Church is for all of us, whether we're right at the beginning of that and we're here this morning and we part of the church is wondering about Christianity and is it true and does it stack up? And explorations for those of us who are Christians and want to keep on exploring uh, the gospel, keep on exploring the character of God, growing as lifelong explorers of Jesus. And as such, kind of linked to that, we did say last week that we wanted to continue and indeed maintain our partnership with our friends in Istanbul, in the church plant in Istanbul. And uh, we launched a little project last week um, as, a, as a means of partnering with them as they too help people in Turkey to become uh, lifelong explorers of the gospel, the gospel of grace specifically. That's John and Sophie behind me who uh, lead the church plant there. And we said, wouldn't it be great, or John had said, wouldn't it be great if we could translate this wonderful book by Terry Virgo into Turkish, because it hasn't yet been translated into Turkish, as a real way of blessing their church and who knows who at what other churches. Um, and so last week was great. We, we raised some 500 plus pounds last Sunday, which is brilliant. So well done. It's another evidence of the generosity that exists in this church family. And if we can get m- towards the 1,500, 2,000 pound mark, then we can pretty much bankroll a translation of that wonderful book, which specifically helps believers. It's very much for believers. It helps believers too. And I think Terry would agree with me, become lifelong explorers of the gospel of grace which I guess is the kind of ministry that he has put before us. So if you haven't yet given and you'd like to, or you've been pondering on it, or it's brand new today, you can do that at the contactless card payment at the Connect Point afterwards, and you can do it if you haven't got our details more broadly through Church Suite and the website, and it'll be great because John's here on the 18th of November uh, to kind of bring our vision series to a conclusion. John will be here to preach, and it'd be great if we can present him uh, with a a fat check to help him put this wonderful project into being. Uh, In my mind, having grown up in the sort of sporty world, I've got an image of one of those great big giant checks that you get as man of the match in in cricket matches and things. But whether we can give that or not, I don't know. But hopefully we can really bless them, and uh, it could be a wonderful, wonderful gift to believers across, across that nation. So... 
That's the first value, if you like, underneath the vision statement is that of exploration. The second one, as Jason's already helpfully said, the second E is encountering. We want to be a church family that is passionate and has an expectation to encounter the presence of God tangibly and personally and regularly and powerfully. When it comes to knowing God, this prime component of the vision statement, that for us as elders as we prayed about this is about so much more, as I hope you've heard, it's about so much more than accruing cognitive knowledge about God. We really want to help each other uh, experience the reality of God, to encounter him personally and tangibly and regularly and in our own lives and corporately and so on and so forth. It's about knowing God in relationship. It's about actually meeting with him as opposed to just knowing stuff about him. So I'm gonna try and bring a shorter message than normal this morning so that we can have some good time to encounter God in worship and to see what he wants to do amongst us in the latter part of our service together. We've been camping out in John 4 these last few weeks as a bit of a kind of the basis uh, passage for the biblical foundation for this uh, vision. And we're going to be in John 4 again this morning because there's just so much in there to keep on drawing out. And I'm going to particularly hone in on a few verses, starting with verse 5. So if you're new to the Bible, John is the fourth gospel, the New Testament, kind of about four fifths of the way through your Bible. And it's John's eyewitness account of all that he saw Jesus uh, do and say. And John 4 verse 5 tells us this. So he, Jesus, came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, so midday. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And they begin to talk. Jesus engages her in a conversation about water and water linking into what living water might mean and and water that would last into eternity and so forth. He has a fascinating conversation with her and he does what he can do so amazingly. He communicates the fact that he knows her utterly and loves her perfectly. He communicates it all at the same time. That's why that's at the heart of our vision statement. They want to be a church family that does uh, or reflects to each other what Jesus does to us, which is that he knows us completely and he loves us perfectly. And Jesus communicates this so profoundly to this woman that he knows everything about her, including that which she's most ashamed of, and loves her spectacularly. And so in verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, he having told her all about her past. Verse 20, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. 
Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So, what do we learn from this passage about what it is to encounter God, to have an encounter with God, about the primacy and the profundity of encountering God? Last week I said that evangelism for us as a church needs to come from the place of encounter. So why is it that encounter is primary? What do we see in this passage about it? Um, I don't really have three points this morning, which I know will shock some of you. I have more of a, uh, a series of truths that I think this passage teaches us. Here's number one. The first thing we see is that God loves to encounter us. That's really important that we see that. Before we think about what it is to encounter God, we need to see that God loves to encounter us. Do you notice in verse 23, it's, Jesus says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is seeking people with whom he can have an encounter, with whom he can have a relationship. So important to know. Before we think about what we might do, God is ready and God is actively initiating and seeking. Why did Jesus Christ come, Luke 19, 10, to seek and save the lost? That's what God's about, seeking people out for himself, for a relationship with himself. Verse six jumped out to me this week. What happens when the woman gets to the well? Jesus is already there. It's really simple, but again, I dig back into this passage and you just notice new things. Jesus is already there when the woman gets there. That's the nature of God. He is already there. He was here this morning before we gathered here. He'll be here at your home before you go home. He'll be out and about in the heart of Kingston by his spirit. God is waiting and initiating before we even consider what it might mean to draw near to him. That is good news. He doesn't need to be cajoled and persuaded and appeased. God is there. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 18. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. The Lord waits to be gracious to you. Psalm 145 verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. God is not far off. He's near. He's with us now. Do you believe that? He's right here. Secondly, encounters can happen everywhere. So God initiates them, God seeks them. Number two, they can happen everywhere. Quick bit of context for what I'm about to say. So Samaritans, if you're new to this text at all, Samaritans were a a racially mixed group of people, mixed between a a Jewish ancestry and a non-Jewish ancestry. And so as a result, when it came to their religious beliefs and practices, they had a mixture of beliefs and practices. Uh, They believed in the God of the Old Testament, but they had their own version of the Old Testament. Uh, They had their own temple on the mountain that the Samaritan woman alludes to, and so on and so forth. And so Jesus is saying to this woman, listen, it is no longer, he's saying a number of things to her, but one of the things he's saying to her in the passages I read is that it's no longer about a physical temple or a mountain. She's kind of clutching at the things that she knows about where the mountain is and where their temple is and what she knows about Jacob and the ancestry of, uh, of, the, of the Bible and so forth. And he says, listen, it's no longer about a mountain or a temple or a certain place or even where you've come from and who your ancestry is. He's saying God is everywhere. In other words, God is not constrained by a body or by a temple. He's present everywhere and so we can encounter him everywhere. And the woman is encountering God in Christ at the well. 
Because God is spirit. See that in verse 24? God is spirit. So God is everywhere. He's not constrained by a body or by a temple. In our Spotlight series, we looked at the omnipresence of God, the fact that he is everywhere and able to be everywhere, and so we can encounter him and worship him everywhere. Now notice, the woman encounters God in Christ at a well, which for her is kind of her workplace. It's her everyday place. That's where she went most days to do an everyday activity of drawing well for her uh, family or her community. But not only is it her, if you like, everyday place, her workplace, it's also the place where she was hoping she wouldn't encounter anyone. There's a certain irony in that. Such is the shame with which she lives due to her, her past of having had these five husbands and living with a man that's not her husband and all the cultural and religious um, connotations that went with that. She deliberately comes at midday, the hottest part of the day, because she knows nobody else will be there. No woman in her right mind would normally come and draw well in the Middle East at midday because it's boiling hot and that's why she's there. She doesn't want to encounter anyone. And yet God is waiting for her. Isaiah 30 is waiting to be gracious to her. It's right there, Isaiah 30 in the flesh. God waiting to be gracious to this woman. So, where's your well? And by that I mean two things. One, where's your everyday place? Is it platform one at Surbiton train station at 10 past seven? Is it on the way taking the children towards school? Is it doing the washing up? Is it just going through some uh, accounts when you get home? Is it in the gym? Is it at the, at the workplace? Where's your well, your everyday place that you're there on repeat? And do you believe God is there waiting to be gracious to you? If you do get the 710, does anyone get the 710 at Surbiton Platform 1 by any chance? Okay, but if you do, Kingston, Norberton, some of you do. If, if, if you really believed her and cognitively dwelt on that and meditated on that, I think that would really change how you go about getting onto platform one at Serverton at seven. God's here. He really is here. Secondly, you're well in terms of a place of shame. So for that woman, that was all tied up with so much shame for her. She's there because she doesn't want to see anybody. She doesn't want to be exposed. She knows that she's been gossiped about probably. The last thing she wants is to, is to see those knowing looks again, those muttering conversations again, those people glancing and nudging. She's, that's the last thing she wants. So she comes at midday when no one will be there because she's full of shame. And yet God is there waiting to be gracious to her. What do I mean by that for our if you like, application right now. It strikes me that for many Christians, when we get it wrong, when we sin, or indeed we are sinned against, sometimes the last place we go is the presence of God. When we get it wrong, we think we need to probably go through some time apart before we can seek God. Where others have hurt us, we sometimes go through a whole load of other options before we come and find God at the well. And yet there she is with all the, the guilt and the shame, the things that she's responsible for and accountable for, the things that have just been done to her, all of that, and there is God in Christ. So what I want to say to us this morning, I suppose, is when, when we get it wrong, the best place to be is at the well with Jesus. The best place to be. 
receiving in confession and repentance, receiving forgiveness and grace and reconciliation and, and being able to start again. When others have hurt us, and goodness, that woman I think had been hurt, the best place to be is at the well with Jesus, having our hearts open before him, being filled up with all the dignity and the encouragement and the refreshing that he brings. So where's your well? Both your everyday place and, what is it, and the place of shame. Number three, encounters happen in worship. So God seeks them. They can happen everywhere. Number three, they happen in worship. It says God is seeking true worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. What to say about worship? Gosh, it's such a multifaceted dynamic. Um, one of my big regrets over the last few years is I haven't taught on worship over a period of time. And I can't do that in depth now, but we can mention some things. It's such a multifaceted dynamic. Worship is about uh, submitting, just submitting before God, humbling ourselves before him. That's part of what worship is. Worship includes thanking and praising him for all that he's done. Worship includes listening to him in, in humble submission. It includes responding to him in obedience and faith and delight. It includes living for him in every facet of our lives, pouring our lives out as an act of worship. Our bodies, our time, our money, our resources, our gifts, our talents. But ultimately, worship is an internal dynamic. It's about the heart. All the external things we might do are only authentic worship if they come from a heart of worship. Jesus had strong words to say about external worship didn't come from a heart worship. To worship is about the heart. It's the right response of our hearts towards who God is. Let me say it again. Worship is the right response of our hearts towards who God is. In other words, worship comes from knowing God, which is why that component is primary in the division statement. Worship ultimately comes from knowing who God is. Not everything about him, because you can't know everything about him. In fact, we're invited, as I said last week, to explore the unsearchable riches of Christ. But worship ultimately is positioning ourselves, positioning our hearts in response to who God is. Even over and above what he has done, it's simply about who he is. And that's why God is seeking true worshippers who will worship him in spirit and truth. So in spirit, as you've just been saying, in the sense of everywhere and anywhere and at all times. And I guess spirit also taps into worshipping with our spirits. We are mind, body, soul, beings, and we worship with our spirits. But and we also worship in truth because we need to know who God is to be able to worship him as he is. So fourthly, encounters happen in the word. Encounters happen in the Bible. That's where we can find truth. The word of God is, is, is true. There's that wonderful uh, scripture that says that the word of God is useful for teaching and rebuking. Every word of it is God-breathed. Now, men wrote it. People wrote it. But it was the power of the Holy Spirit working through them and so what they wrote down was breathed out by God and we can trust it to be true and authoritative and even if our emotions or our proclivities or our desires don't line up with it, we can trust this to be true first and foremost. And so that's why, for example, it's wonderful when Christy leads us in a song about truth at the beginning because you begin by worshiping by saying, this I know to be true 
and it's true whether I'm having a mountaintop experience of the wonder and the joy of God or I'm having a valley experience and just on the edge of giving up. It's still true. And so our heart, I guess, as a a leadership team more and more is that we would learn to expect to encounter God in, in worship, as I've been saying a little bit, and expect to encounter God in the Bible. Just um, yesterday, uh, we were, I was just at home, it was Caroline's birthday, but she and Izzy weren't very well, which is, some of you have been kind enough to ask why they've not been around, was because we, I, my daughter is quarantined, effectively, having had a hand, foot, and mouth, and I wanted to pass on lots of things to you this morning, but hand, foot, and mouth was not one of them. So they are not around at the moment, but yesterday it was Caroline's birthday, and we had our own little uh, quarantined birthday, and, uh, but towards the afternoon, I could just, I, I could sense my mind starting to wonder and just worrying about a few things and getting anxious about a few things. And I, you just, I'm sure you know what it's like. It just starts to spiral around a little bit, uh, getting sad and anxious about a few things. Uh, and knowing at a certain point there was a choice that I had to make. And you, I can either just let that kind of spiral go where it wants to go. Or there's a sort of medium option where I kind of find some temporary reason, temporary satisfaction or stimulation, the phone being the obvious one. We, we go to these ones and just do a little bit of flicking and scrolling and you get a little bit of gratification. I just felt God saying, just, just come and encounter me. Um, and I hope I did that in good conscience, not to be able to share it with you today. That's always the challenge of a preacher that you don't do things to give us illustrations, but let's, I hope the conscience is good on that one. And I went just for a walk just to try and encounter God. And I'd made sure I took my Bible with me, or Caroline's Bible with me, because it's a little pocket-sized one. And I thought, I just need to be speaking out truth and reading truth as I seek to encounter God anywhere, which is some random road around where I live, and as I seek for my spirit to be caught up in worship, I need truth to undergird it. So I'm just walking along reading Philippians uh, 2, I think, just speaking it out. There's a guy in front of me on his phone doing, the same thing, doing something, and I'm walking behind him. But I'm just speaking out these words from Philippians 2, and, and it begins by saying, if you have any encouragement by being unified with Christ. And I'm like, yes, I do have encouragement for, for, by being unified with Christ. And you begin to speak out truth and pray out truth, and your emotions begin to come in line with what is true. And I'm not talking about mind over matter. I'm talking about holding the word of God as the authority and truth that it is, and then causing the spirit to rise in response to what is true. Now you could do a whole interesting cultural observation point about truth and emotions, couldn't you at the moment? And I, I'll just do a brief one, but it's, this is, not, this is no, no profound point, but our current cultural climate is very much encouraging us to be led by our emotions and how we feel, isn't it? And then truth is supposed to be comes under that. And so your truth becomes subservient to how you feel. And so therefore, your, your truth is, is your truth. That's okay. Have your truth according to what is currently working for you. And we're saying as Christians, that's, that's the other way around for us, that we're taking what is true and then speaking it and praying it and practicing it and stepping out in faith in it and causing how we feel to come in line with that. Now, it doesn't mean that our emotions are just subservient chemical reactions. God's made us mind and body and spirit. Our emotions are crucial. They tell us all kinds of things. But they shouldn't be the the compass by which we live. They're great guides, but they're not the compass by which we by which we live. So our heart as as elders and pastors and leaders and and, and couples and, and all the rest of it is that we would be more and more learning to encounter God in the Word ourselves. That we wouldn't arrive on a Sunday thinking, "Oh, I'm looking forward to some opening, opening the Bible today," because that was that happened again last week, last Sunday. 
that we'd arrive having been opening the Bible ourselves, learning to love it and encountering Jesus in it. I love that passage in Luke, the end of Luke, <laughs> when uh, there are two disciples walking down the Emmaus Road with Jesus. Luke 24, I think. And uh, they don't know it's the resurrected Jesus. They think it's a stranger. And they're just so down about the crucifixion. And, think, and they're speaking to this stranger who's Jesus saying, what on earth's happened? And our lives have just come to an end. And Jesus begins to explain to them about the Old Testament. He begins to tell them, everything you treasure in the Jewish Hebrew scriptures was ultimately pointing towards me. And later on, he reveals himself to them. And their hearts come alive. And I always love that passage because I think that is the calling and the privilege of any Christian is to, is to open the word of God and have Jesus come off the pages of it, which is what those two disciples experienced. We're not going to get to walk with the resurrected Jesus yet, but by his spirit, he can come off the pages of scripture and we can encounter him. Now, if we really believe that to be true, we'd, we'd be getting this thing open more and more, wouldn't we? Talking about it working out our questions and our challenges and our doubts in, in light of it, being shaped by it, even bringing ourselves into line with it when our emotions or our feelings or our desires might be screaming at the other way. Then you've got a church family that's doing something pretty exciting if it's standing itself upon an eternal truth. So let's help each other in community, in family. Let's help each other to encounter God in his word and in prayer as well as I've just been saying about yesterday. And personally, let's not wait to a Sunday or to a life group to be encountering God. He's there seeking you, drawing near to you at your well, ready for you every day. But of course, it's not just a personal journey that we're called to. Our vision statement isn't just knowing God and making God known individual solo Christians on a sort of journey or a parallel running track. How are you doing on your Christian journey? All right. This is a corporate thing. This is a, a family thing, a context in which each of us is called to be known and loved by each other. Not perfectly, because only Jesus does that. Jesus is the only one who has that beautiful, just beautiful combination of unveiling our hearts, including that which we really would rather he didn't, and loving us utterly. The rest of us, by the power of his spirit, seek to reflect that in some way. And it's beautiful when it happens in some, in some way in the life of a church. So we're here to corporately, together, as brothers and sisters, to help each other encounter God and to do so together. That's why life groups are really important. Another reason why life groups are really important is a great little context, an eight, a 10, a 12, to encounter God together as you open the Bible, as you pray, as you explore spiritual gifts, as you maybe use silence, as you ask good questions of each other, as you welcome the Holy Spirit, and you say to each other, God is here. And that is the lifeblood of any Christian. It really is. You've got to have those moments where you know, God is with me. Emmanuel, God with me, is here. Now, that doesn't mean that every day is always a, like a woohoo, <laughs> mountaintop moment. Always valley moments, always ups and downs, always moments of, of, of doubt and struggle and frustration. But if you keep opening up this thing, if you stay, not this thing, sorry, the Bible, if you do so in the context of a family, if you bring your feelings and desires and emotions in line with the word, if you speak out words of worship, if you seek to draw near to him who is drawing near to you, you will more often than not be able to say, yes, Emmanuel is indeed with me. So just a, a brief point about corporate 
encounters, corporate worship, and then we'll just get on and do it, I think, is the main thing. I've already gone on longer than I thought, but we've got some good time. We really want to have an expectation of encountering God together. Okay, that's, that is why we're coming together on a Sunday, fundamentally. Fundamentally, we come together because God has a special place in his heart for the family of God coming together to come into the presence of God, to give worship to God and be sent out by God for God. So as much as we're here for each other and all kinds of things, we're here for God. And I know Jamie's been particularly passionate and I think is leading us so well along with the others in helping us to develop an increasing culture of expecting God to be amongst us and to speak to us and to change us and to transform us. And, and if we're family coming together, taking our, all, all of us taking our seat at the family table, making room for each other, a few little sharp elbows occasionally, but we forgive and repent and we get on with it. Chucking a bit of food even occasionally when we're really lively. If we're coming together at the family table, is what a Sunday is, and we're looking to the Father to worship him and enjoy him and hear from him, then it makes sense that he will speak to each one of us and that we'll have our part to play. And that you bringing what God is, the Father said to you for the rest of the family is going to be uniquely and specifically good for all of us and will build all of us up. And so we really want to kind of cultivate that. That's why I've been saying of late, Listen, during worship, if you want to pray from where, you're, from where you're at, a prayer of praise and thanksgiving that's going to build us up and glorify God, then, then just do that. And we're learning how to make space for that. And we'll keep learning and we'll probably get it wrong. There might be a sharp elbow here and a bit of food thrown there, but that's all right. So, so pray from, from where you are. But the microphone's really useful as well because it's hard to be heard in here sometimes. And also, if you've got things that are, perhaps you're more bringing a, a lesson, the Bible says, expect you're bringing a, bit of a little bit of teaching or something prophetic or a tongue, and it makes sense to probably come through the microphone and you can run it past the anchor and we can make sure that it just comes through at the right moment and those kinds of things. This is what we're kind of, I guess, playing around with, if you like. You can say, well, I didn't sound completely scripted and clear, Philip. I'm not sure what you mean. I guess it shouldn't be completely scripted and clear. So why don't we, as family, just kind of Take a seat at the table, look to the Father, ask him to help us by his spirit to enjoy him, make much of him, worship him, and also have one ear as to what he might say to us for us. Can we do that? Why don't we do that now? <laughs> Why don't we worship together now and expect God to catch us up in worship, to make much of him, and to build one another up with scripture and prayer and spiritual gifts as we do so. Shall we stand?